Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. On this week's episode, we're asking if there is just way too much Disney going on for audiences to handle. What big title is coming to the Nintendo Switch? And could Fortnite be beating PUBG at its own game? All this and a Nintendo Quest takeover as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you checking us out and, and being part of the program. Well, it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend, he is the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. You got to check out all the great things going on at humanicamedia.com. Also as well, the Humanica Media channels on YouTube, Podbean, and also Apple Podcasts as well. It's my good friend, the author of the now completed, congratulations, you suck. It's Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, book's done, finally. Uh, just sent it off to a few people for reading it's the first time anyone's going to be reading it except for the excerpts i've been putting up online but uh yeah i'm excited man feels like i got this giant weight lift off my shoulders still don't really don't know how i feel about it but uh it's done and it should be coming out if everything all goes well what by the summertime as far as available to purchase via amazon and all the other great places to go to for book buying yeah the plan is to have it out before june's over so i'll have a more exact date here coming up Okay, that sounds good. That sounds good indeed. Once again, it is Congratulations, You Suck by my good friend, Josh Peterson. It's going to be available very soon to Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, and other great book outlets. Well, it's going to be a great show for us today. We've got a lot to talk about, including all the stuff going on in the world of Disney. Is it just too much for everyone out there to handle? We're going to tackle that situation coming up here in a second. Plus, also as well, we've got my good friend, Rob McCallum. And it, well, you know what, Josh? It's a Nintendo Quest takeover because the stars of Nintendo Quest, both Rob McCallum and Jay Bartlett, are going to be joining us in separate segments. Rob McCallum is coming up in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking about some fan films that have come under fire from paramount and star trek and at what the future of fan films should be in his opinion plus jay bartlett the actual star of nintendo quest 
is going to be talking to me about the Overwatch League. He's going to be sharing his thoughts on the league and how it's going, especially his London Spitfire coming up later in the program. Plus, we're going to be talking about Fortnite, which is done so good, so well, so awesome on Twitch in the past couple of weeks. It has now surpassed PUBG as the most watched game on the format. And we're going to talk about why that is. Plus, also, Nintendo just had a Nintendo Direct and they talked a lot of great things. But there's one game in particular that's on the horizon, which needs to be talked about. And we're going to do so later in the program. But Josh, I'll tell you what, my friend, there's a a lot going on in the magical world of Disney. It seems like we can't escape it. There's always some Disney property that we have to talk about almost on each and every episode. This week in particular, it's A Wrinkle in Time. The movie's coming out nationwide and also around the world as well. It's an adaptation from a children's novel that basically takes a, a look at a different fantasy type world that a child has to go into to try and save her father. It's not getting the best of reviews right now. Rotten Tomatoes has it under 50%. Targeting right now if it possibly will or will not beat out Black Panther here domestically at the box office. I want to get your thoughts on A Wrinkle in Time because on the surface with the trailers and whatnot, I kind of liked it and was kind of intrigued into seeing it. And with all the big names attached to it, Oprah Winfrey, Chris Pine, Mindy Kaling, among others, I believe Reese Witherspoon as well, if I'm not mistaken. There's some big names attached to this project. Why is it not panning out the way most people think when it comes to a Disney film? And when we uh, when you finish talking about that, we're going to be talking about a lot of other stuff on the Disney plate as well. Okay, so if they were to have made A Wrinkle in Time, say, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I think that it would have performed a lot better. People would have been a lot more excited about it because I don't know about you, but like they stopped telling kids to read that book in school around the time I graduated elementary school. And here's the thing too, at the end of the day, like I, I liked a wrinkle in time. I, I liked reading the book. I loved it as a kid, but at no point while I was reading that book did I think to myself, Hey, this would make a really cool movie. It was interesting, but it wasn't that interesting to me. And, you know, making that's cool. Good for them making a uh, a movie out of it. But I think much like like John Carter of Mars, nobody really has any idea about the source material. So this is just kind of like a, this is kind of a Tomorrowland situation. I'm feeling for a wrinkle in time. And I, I heard an interesting rumor that people were kind of hoping that in the wake of the crowds being pleased by diversity, brought on by Black Panther, they were hoping that A Wrinkle in Time would kind of catch the, that that wave and carry forward. I don't know if that's true, but I don't know if it, if that would work because Black Panther is still doing really well. So I don't know, man. Like, where, where do you stand on this? Do you have any interest in seeing it? I thought I did, but seeing the mixed reviews, I mean, to me, it's now gone into the I want to see it probably on home video type format with the kids here in the house. They haven't really mentioned too much about it because, like you said, it's not something that kids read anymore really during those ages. And at least that's what's, what I've seen from, my, you know, I have two kids in middle school and they've, they've not mentioned that uh, one iota. But I, I do know that it is something that at one time was uh, was you know a mainstay within the 
early generation environment. But it looks like at this point in time, it's just something that maybe for us, a home video rental or something on a streaming format. I think it's hurt by the fact that, like you said, the continual goodwill of Black Panther is where a Disney movie is now going to punish another Disney movie for coming out too close to each other. And with all the other movies that are coming out this year from Disney, Christopher Robin, Mary Poppins, and of course, Star Wars with Solo movie, Avengers Infinity War, and Ed, The Nutcracker, if I'm not mistaken as well, Wreck-It Ralph 2. I'm sure I'm even forgetting about more. Is there way too much Disney to go around? And especially with the streaming service now that's on the way, is can some of these projects actually go on there and still find a great home and a great way to still earn a profit without having to be coming to the theaters where it doesn't perform the way it should, like you, like you mentioned with Tomorrowland? Well, okay, so here's the thing. The Disney overlap is was inevitable. You know, as soon as they started buying up these properties, I know we talked about this a little bit on the Pop Culture Cosmos show earlier this week, but as soon as Disney started buying up all those properties, like having their movies overlap with each other and kind of breaking into each other's box office markets was, it wasn't like a, a matter of if, it was a matter of when, when was that going to happen? And to answer your question about the streaming service, I don't know. Like I, I think that even Disney goes all out with everything they do, you know, they put a lot of money and if they were to take some of these projects and put them on a, a streaming service at a, at a lower budget, I, I don't, I don't know if it would have the same effect or if it would even be worth it anymore because a lot of these like live action Disney things, people are barely clinging to interest on it. So if you were to put it on into a format where, you know, they basically have to pay a monthly fee to get a hold of some of this stuff, I don't think that it would do so well. I mean, putting it up on Hulu, like maybe just like a trial run would be, you know, I can see them doing that. But as far as like taking a, a big budget movie and then kind of serializing it. I don't think that that would be something that's just not something I see Disney doing. And I, and I, I think that with the uh, John Favreau, was it star Wars thing? We'll that's see correct. That, yeah. We'll see if that works out or not. And that'll kind of be like the, the testing point. But then again, that is star Wars. So it's not like the nutcracker or, you know, Aladdin or something. And I didn't even mention that Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's another Disney movie that you have that's going to be overlapping with another Disney movie on the way. So, and, and you know, with with so many of these projects coming out, and I did want to mention that what you touched on real briefly, John Favreau, the director of Iron Man, he is actually been signed on to create a Star Wars TV show for the upcoming Disney streaming service. So that's something to look forward to if you're interested in the streaming service there. But I think some of these projects should go there because like I said, when you have so many different projects, the Nutcracker, Wreck-It Ralph, Mary Poppins, Christopher Robin, so many, it goes on and on and on and on. And that's just this year alone. Not to mention like you and I saw on Twitter when it was posted originally when it came up, all those upcoming Marvel Disney, Pixar, and Star Wars projects that they're jockeying positions around and jockeying dates around. They seem to be just like moving them like chess pieces on a chessboard. At some point, there's going to be a backlash. It's it's not because if it's a general Disney thing. It's just that people will not be able to go and continually enjoy these products when they're when they just get out of going to see Black Panther. Here comes Wrinkle in Time. Here comes Avengers Infinity War. Here comes this movie. Here comes that movie from Disney. 
And at some point in time, there is going to be a backlash. And I think it's going to start with Wrinkle in Time, where it's not going to be able to find its its true full audience that it could have had it not come out at a better, more isolated time where it could really flourish, in my opinion, even with the mediocre reviews, because I think it still hits the right audience where if it was given a better shot, it would have been able to get a better positioning, in my opinion. Now, obviously, we haven't seen the numbers as of yet, but what come this weekend, if it doesn't beat Black Panther and it doesn't gain initially $100 million worldwide, I think that's not a great sign for the movie overall and kind of a disappointment for Disney. What are your thoughts out there on A Wrinkle in Time and on Disney movies in general? Is there too many coming out this year and in the near future for you to handle? Is A Wrinkle in Time being suffered because of the fact that it came out so close to Black Panther? Is A Wrinkle in Time going to be something that you're going to watch in the theaters or are you going to wait till it comes out on a streaming service or home video at some point in the near future? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we've got a great episode. It's a Nintendo Quest takeover as Rob McCallum plus also Jay Bartlett is coming up later. His co-star, or he'll tell you, he's a star now. He's going to be coming up later in the broadcast talking about Overwatch League and all the great things going on there. But first, we've got our good friend, Elijah Harrison. His alter ego is Plasma Z, and this is Supernova, and this is the PCC Multiverse.
You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly want to thank you for being part of the broadcast here today. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. You got to check out all of his great projects today on RobMcCallumFilms.com. Plus, also as well, backed or busted crowdfunding. Everything as far as going on with the crowdfunding world, you got to check out today on Backed or Busted Crowdfunding as he examines what he likes and what he doesn't like in the crowdfunding scene. It's Rob McCallum. What's going on, my friend? And what's up is we, we've been back and forth already. We've already done one segment on Kickstarter questions and crowdfunding for, for Backed or Busted and a little bit of an info session from people that sent me questions in. And now we're jumping right back in the crossfire seat, the hot seat. Yes, yes, and I, I love it. And as far as the, you know, the cosmic crossfire is concerned, you just truly talk about the best of pop culture. So, pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, I'm going to talk about Star Trek fan films, and of course, the one that comes to everybody's mind is Axanar, of course. And I feel a little sheepish because I, I was reading an article and I got cut off halfway through it, and I can't find it again. But it's out there. I don't know if it's on comingsoon.net or Hollywood Reporter or Variety. But it was talking about uh, the role of, of this fan film culture. I forget his name. I want to say his like last name is Doctoro, but it could be wrong. So I feel like there's no like real information that I'm, that I'm communicating right now. But he said something of the lines of, it's our duty to make use of materials created in order to make new things going forward. So what he's saying is... Star Wars might not have happened if it wasn't for things like Flash Gordon serials and, and other kind of sci-fi stuff that led to Star Wars, which is taking, you know, huge direct examples from that property alone, let alone things like Raiders of the Lost Ark, hearkening back to other stuff. But also George Lucas took, uh, you know, stuff from Westerns and also as well from Japanese films as well. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Seven Samurai, for example, a lot of, you know, Akira Kurosawa stuff. So what this uh, individual is saying, you know, it's it's our duty to allow filmmakers and, and artists to to repurpose material in order to create something new, to, to keep it going, in order to continue the, the art conversation. And as a documentary filmmaker who does a lot of stuff on existing brands, I think it's important to make commentary on stuff that is out there and by referencing said art or said examples. I, I think it's essential. Fan films are, I think, a little bit of a different kind of corner in universe because you're trying to use what is established to tell your own version of the story and put your own kind of content or fiction as part of the, the mega picture that's out there for that spectrum of material and content to digest. But I still think it kind of falls into this. You want to take something that exists, you want to extend it and, and do your own thing with it. I think there is no better example of fandom. And what uh, this individual said in the article it really made me think because this is the first time since everything went down with Axanar and of course Justin Lin and J.J. Abrams trying to do the Olive Branch when uh, the third Star Trek film came out just before like, no, 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 the lawsuit is cool. You can do fan films. 
And then people read the guidelines and it was like, huh, you really can't do fan films or anything that really makes sense because it's almost impossible according to these guidelines. Um, he, he mentions one line. He basically says, uh, Paramount squashing fan films is incredibly detrimental because it kills the love that people have for the franchise. And it kills the most passionate fans and that core audience in a way that is unforgivable and irreplaceable and, you know, unerasable. When you essentially start to attack your core fan base, and we're talking about Star Trek, this is this is a franchise that has been canceled a few times now and brought back in varying forms with varying different degrees as we're starting to see with Discovery and the new in the film side of things, whether that happens to continue and go on or not, we don't know. And it's still all over the place with Tarantino possibly penning a new Star Trek, which would be an R-rated version, or also as well, do they go back to the tried-and-true PG-13 style that they've done with the reboots, which you and I both have talked about in the past that that I've actually had a great fun, and, and actually is what brought me back as a Star Trek fan originally was the reboots of Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness. So given all of that context and all of that discussion, why would Paramount even take the chance to anger these passionate fans that want to make these things and put them out there and elevate the discussion, add to the discussion, and showcase their, their skills and their prowess? It feels like a massive ego trip the more that I think about it. It's like, I get that there's copyright infringement, and that is totally fair. Paramount owns the Star Trek franchise, the rights, and all that stuff. But there has to be a better way to include the franchise fans so that the franchise can continue to grow. But without the fans, there is no franchise. It's that simple. And so if you can't make your, your films or your TV shows because your fans aren't going to it, because you've angered the fans, because you're not allowing them to live and breathe with the content, then who's really to blame here? Who's the one that really decided to pull the plug in all this stuff? And this gets a little... Dicey because, you know, I think of another group of fans, and that's the Star Wars fans, who are very possessive and claim ownership over the material. They own the trilogy. They own the original trilogy and not the prequels and maybe not the new one. But they've marked their territories down, and, and they have claimed ownership no matter what, and it's vicious. And you see the backlash from Last Jedi. You see the concerns from the Han Solo movie coming out. What would, what would happen if Disney started canceling a bunch of Star Wars projects. What would happen to that backlash when you start pushing the fan base away when you need them so much? I just I just think it was kind of food for thought. What do you think about that idea that if Paramount canceling fan films, it's actually what they're doing is canceling the franchise? Well, I think you, you hit it right on the head with the copyright infringement. And with these corporations and these big movie companies, that's the first thing they see first and foremost. And they're trying to protect their own image and they want to be able to go ahead and control it as they see fit. So sometimes they are prone to making rash judgments uh, and right off the bat without thinking clearly through the situation and embracing the fandom that they're trying to represent when they make these fan films. So uh, like I said, it was just a rash, irrational decision that was made. And like it, it, before Paramount said, you know what? Maybe we should think this thing through and, and maybe we should try and brace the, these projects without going too overboard and going too much into as far as 
as being able to go ahead and spill over into copyright infringement. But you can find a balance in between. You can you can make it acceptable and you can make it receptive for fans to go ahead and create these projects because like you said, it just increases the love for the actual pop culture product, whatever that is, Star Wars, Star Trek, or what have you. And and it's just a reactionary decision that Paramount made, which obviously was either financially or copyright motivated. And I think that that's, you know, like I said, they, once they had a chance to take a deep breath and step back and, and think things through, they were trying to go ahead and cut their losses and try and go ahead and try and see if they can embrace these actual policies and change them a little bit so that they can accommodate these, these fan projects. But it may have been too little too late. Like I said, the, the Star Trek uh, right now is really on a very tenuous path right now with, with something that the the last film did not do so well. Let's put that out there. It did not do as well as the first two. And even though it was critically hailed, I personally didn't enjoy it very much. I thought it was the weakest of the three. And I think they're at a point now where they need all the good PR that they can get to try and keep that momentum going that they once had with those first two movies. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And one thing that... I would offer as a suggestion or a solution is to let Paramount bring the filmmakers into a fold. There's a couple ways of doing this, and, and I think you can kind of merge them together. One is make it an annual contest. Make an annual fan film Trek contest. Make it part of the, the ecosystem so that you get to see these fan films. And CBS has an all-access streaming app now, a digital service. Why not put the best fan films on that? They have a convention here in Las Vegas every year. It's one of it's the largest Star Trek convention. Of they its could time. do fan film awards there. You could pay the filmmakers in a 70, 30, 60, 40, even 50, 50 split from the minutes watched on the CBS streaming app, for example, or some other website kind of way where, okay, they spending money. So they should get, you know, a part of it, but it's based on their IP. So they should be a part of it. It's kind of like a distribution deal, but why not every year do the best fan films, and then you can have films like Axonar really make headlines. And then if Paramount's really smart, they can package these films every year as a Blu-ray. And here are the best Blu-ray uh, you know, versions of the movies for you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, and so on. That would be or, really cool as a Trek fan. Or bonus material for, let's say, whatever upcoming Star Trek film sure. you've gotten. That in, could be like the grand prize. You know, Star Trek Four comes out. It's Tarantino's thing. One of the bonus features is the be the best you know picture for Trek fan films. I think that would be great. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. It's a way of including the fan base without stopping them, still having kind of control or a foot in the arena but including everybody instead of pushing people away in killing that thing that is allowing you to exist in the first place. But if you have any questions for Rob McCallum in the Cosmic Crossfire, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanic Comedia, Game Source, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and Rob McSob on Twitter. Rob, as always, it's been a great pleasure having you on. But before we head on out, tell me, 
all the great things that you've got going and you've got cooking one last time from Rob and Callum Films. All right, I'm going to try to do this because there's been a ton happening. I just updated robmccallumfilms.com with a new update about everything that's been happening in the last month and what we're doing going forward. We've cut concerts for Little Wayne. We have some other concerts that we're going to be doing multi-cam edits of. Kitty uh, Origins Evolution drops uh, March 30th. Order it through robmccallumfilms.com. Missing Mom now is on Amazon Prime in the US and the UK. We get a whopping eight sense every time somebody watches it. But hey, share the link and hopefully you can be part of the millions that can get exposure to the story that uh, resonates with everybody. We've been uh, brought on to do some authoring duties on, a, on another video game documentary called The Bits of Yesterday by Darren Peliquin. So we'll be responsible to handling all their Blu-ray and DVD authoring, which is cool. We were just at PitCon and SLAAS, which are two scientific trade shows. So we're producing those videos for them. We have potentially another Kickstarter in, in the works in next month that we can talk about maybe a little bit more. Uh, and of course, Factor Busted, our web series continues. The, seri uh, the season finale for season one will be coming up as soon as I find the right campaign. I thought I had it worked out, but then I recorded and realized this wasn't a, a good enough campaign to cap off season one. And of course, that builds and leads to our Factor Busted Kickstarter workshop that's happening in London, Ontario, March 25th, 1 to 5 p.m. Get tickets on, on Eventbrite, either eventbrite.com or eventbrite.ca. Look for a Kickstarter masterclass with Rob McCallum. That, I think, does it. There's probably a few other things. Again, robmccallumfilms.com. Check out the news updates post. We just did a new one. You'll see more information there. Because for you, there's not enough time in the day, especially being a new dad as well. So there is that. There is that as well. So it's definitely great to have you on indeed. And and Rob, it's always a pleasure to have you a part of the Cosmic Crossfire. On March 30th, get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McGallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Pre-order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. Kitty Origins Evolutions drops March 30th, 2018. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thank you so much for standing by, and we appreciate you checking us out here on the show. Again, it, it, to tell everybody out there, as we do on every show, if you get a chance, check out our Facebook pages for Humanica Media and Pop Culture Cosmos. If you want to know the times for our shows on the days and times, because we're now being streamed on an online radio station every single day of the week. Sundays were being streamed on Airwave Radio in the UK, Good Talk Radio out of Arizona. Also on Monday, we're being streamed on IPMNation.com. Also as well, Grey Cloud Radio. Also as well, Croc Radio out of Canada. And of course, the Podcast Radio Network, our original home. On Tuesday, it's Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting. Wednesday, it's Grey Cloud Radio. Thursday, it's Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting. Friday, it's Croc Radio, IPM Nation, Grey Cloud Radio, and the Podcast Radio Network once again. And Saturday, 
It's Gray Cloud Radio. For all the show times, you just check out our pinned post on Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And if you want to subscribe or download to our shows, hey, you can do that as well on Apple Podcasts. On Podbean, which we just found out we're really popular there. So a shout out to all of our Podbean subscribers. Also as well, Podchaser, ESO Network, Tangibound Network, Gunna Geek Network, and over 20 different podcasting networks. And we truly appreciate every single one of them for playing the Pop Culture Cosmos and PCC Multiverse, the number one and two shows on the Podcast Radio Network for the month of February. And we're so thankful for it. Josh, you got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, so share to everyone what's going on with your great experience known as Humanica Media. Well, I mean, I don't have 115 followers on Podbean, so it's kind of awkward. Now I feel uh, I feel like like less of a human being. But, but uh, it's our st- it's our network. <laughs> Pop Culture Cosmos is an us thing. It's us, it's yeah. Us it's us. It's us. us. And uh, you know, Humanican properties are just the planets that float around the cosmos you know you're the milky way to our uh our jupiter and and saturn so i was hoping you're gonna say three musketeers because i like that more but okay that's fine (laughs) we got a new topic apocalypse came out this morning it's kind of a look back at all the news items that happened in february as far as like the super bowl and the school shootings and all that stuff so we kind of give our thoughts on that and then there's a new super bs cast released tonight uh, we talk about the Oscars and some Nintendo announcements and some, uh, you know, Call of Duty and uh, the new. We're just talking about the new uh, YouTube and Twitch community policies and all that stuff. Yeah, and then there's always you can check out a new episode of What About This that dropped on Monday. But uh, you know, as always, check us out on Podcast Radio Network every Tuesday. For us, if you download our show, just want to let you know we as a little side extra, you will get. On this show, the PCC Multiverse, if you download it, the full conversation I had at the back end with Rob McCallum talking about crowdfunding because he's got a great crowdfunding event coming up in the London, Ontario area. And we're going to talk extensively about the questions he gets about crowdfunding and about crowdfunding things. So got to check that out at the back end if you're downloading the podcast. You want to check out our great site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. We're doing a lot of great stuff there, including our latest article, which tells you to binge watch The Alienist as I tell you why it's such a great show and definitely worth a binge watch. So, Josh, Nintendo Direct had one of its uh, great 30-minute directs here recently, and I know there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but there was something above all others everybody has been talking about nonstop that they're so excited for, which you and I when we were talking about year two of the Switch that they needed to do and have at least one big title in the queue, and it looks like they may have it coming most likely this fall or this winter, and that's going to be a Super Smash Brothers game. So your thoughts on Super Smash Brothers coming to Nintendo Switch? See, that's the thing we don't know yet because they the trailer opened at first, you know, they made you think it's going to be another, uh, another Splatoon game because it showed the... Uh, Splatoon characters running around shooting each other, and then it kind of uh, you know you see that big old like uh, cross-looking symbol. You know, you saw the top of Mario's head and Link's hair blowing in the wind and stuff. Well, I'll say this: that after reading, investigating a little bit further while you were talking, it actually looks more like it might be the just the bump up from the Wii U, like they did with Super Mario Kart. If, if that's 
Uh, I mean, I'm kind of on the fence, but it, it may that may be the case with with all new characters added, like you were talking about with the Splatoon characters, and maybe even a little bit more added on. And obviously, there's going to be a little bit more support for it as well. So it may actually be just a port of the actual Wii U title after all. Right. So this is my my question: Is it something that is just an idea they threw out there and they threw this trailer together real quick, or is it? something they've been working on for a while and they just felt like they needed to reveal it because they weren't sure because people were questioning what you know what was coming out for them but you know either way it's going to be cool to have a super smash bros on nintendo switch i'm going to go down the list here really quick so mario tennis uh you have any interest in playing that one a small amount mario tennis has always been fun but they're actually better tennis games that are on and have been available on video game formats that i like that are much better the top spin series and and sports champions on the PlayStation. I remember that was very good. But I have some interest in it. But it's it's the tennis is for it has been been okay at best on any Nintendo format. For me, it's kind of like seeing Sonic. You know, the Sonic Olympic game. I just am not not too interested in it. You know, it looks fun. Maybe I would try it out one or two times. Was not something I'd pick up. Well, how about the return? of dark souls in this case a dark souls remaster coming to switch what are your thoughts on that i like the idea of it i don't know if it's something that i'm going to be in a hurry to play i remember the the you know playing that game the first time through it was so so punishing like it was just one it was you know it felt awesome when i finally finished it but it's one of those games that just like beat the snot out of me when i was sitting there trying to play it and I don't know if I'm in a hurry to uh, experience that again or not. Is that something that you're interested in? A little bit, a little bit. And uh, but it, is it the thing to get me into the Switch? You know, personally, no. It's not going to. It's something that I'm going to get as an add-on once I buy a Switch. But yeah, it's not going to be something that that I want to sway me over to actually getting a Switch anytime soon. But while you grab a Kleenex for the snot that just got beat out of you, I want to ask this, Okami. When it came out of the Wii was like a, this small selling cult hit, very highly rated critical darling that came out. But then it's been now been re-released and remastered to the point where, yes, it's still a great game. It has aged, but it, it still has its, its, its true colors and its, its true spirit within the game. But is it so special now that it's being ported to now it's going to be ported to the Switch after being ported to so many other outlets before? Here's where I stand on that. Like I, I you know, I tell I talk to this. I say this to the guys on the Super BS cast. It's it's the novelty of playing it on Nintendo Switch. I mean, you could give me any game, any game you want, like any game that's already out on PlayStation or came out on the Wii or whatever. And just the fact that I could take it on the go with me makes it worth playing to me like elder scrolls for example uh skyrim you know i i've played it three or four times now with all the remasters and reduct reduxes or whatever that that have come out but now it's out on the switch you know am i gonna go out and buy it no but if someone gave it to me would i play it heck yes i would play it just because i can take it on the go go and you know play when i'm on my lunch breaks and stuff one game that i am really excited about is octopath traveler have you seen any videos for that I did see one. It looks very, very cool. And I think that's something that could be a winner for the Nintendo Switch once it comes out. 
Right. And it's, you know, they've been talking about it for a while. It's like, at, you know, at first it's called Project Octopath and they had they had a demo come out on the Switch you could play. But what looks interesting about this game is it, it it's basically, I don't know, it's not, you know how like the old Final Fantasy games and the old Zelda games were top down? This is, it's like a mixture of top down and 3D platformer. So it's, I don't know, like it, it, it looks, it looks like a very beautiful game. So I'm curious to see you know, how it plays out, if it looks anything like the trailers, if the demo, if it's going to expand upon what's in the demo or if the demo is just, you know, not what the final product's going to look like. But I'm really excited to play it. It sounds like a, a great thing indeed. And I, I definitely that will probably be a big win for Nintendo having that on the Switch as one of its great titles. So definitely it's a lot of great things to talk about there. A lot of great insight into what Nintendo has as far as some great titles going forward. Plus, also as well, it leads you into what's coming at E3 because you know they're going to have another Nintendo Direct coming around that time as well. So definitely looking forward to being able to see how these games perform on the Switch and seeing how well they'll perform with audiences. What are your thoughts on the Nintendo Direct that came out this week and all the great announcements, including a Super Smash Brothers that's coming this year that most most likely be from you know going back and forth on it, but it'll most likely be an upgraded port from the one from Wii U. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. We've got Jay Bartlett from Nintendo Quest, he is standing by to talk Overwatch League, his London Spitfire, he's going to be talking the overall health of the league, and some of the ideas that we have about trying to make it even more popular to audiences out there. He's going to be talking about that after the break, and after that, Josh and I will be just chatting about why Fortnite might be outdoing PUBG at its own game. This is the PCC Multiverse. Hey everyone, it's Rob McCallum and I'm back with a new series that centers on the world of crowdfunding. I call it Backed or Busted. It's real simple. Every week I take a Shark Tank-like look at live campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and determine if they should be backed or if they're busted. If they should be backed, then I invest in the project, plunk down real money, and become a backer. If the project doesn't cut it, then it gets no love from me and I label it Busted for the entire world to see. In addition, you'll discover amazing new projects, inventive products, creative endeavors, and you'll see what works and what doesn't work in the multi-billion dollar crowdfunding industry that makes turning your dream project into a reality more than possible. So check out Backed or Busted episodes at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And if you want me to help your campaign become truly awesome, send me a message. That's backed or busted at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of great things going on in video games, but one of the highlights right now going on in the video game world is esports. And esports is really taking an upswing with all the great news and all the great things that are going on, especially right now with the Overwatch League. Overwatch, the hit game from Activision Blizzard, Blizzard Activision, whichever way you want to say it, it's Blizzard's creation and it's doing great and it's done so well, it's actually become its own e-league with teams centered all around the world. 
and to talk more about the Overwatch League and its success in its inaugural season is my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Star Wars Echo 3. You got to check out Star Wars Echo 3 today on Facebook because they do so many great things as far as cosplay and great causes for charity out there. He's also the star of Nintendo Quest, one of the best video game documentaries of the past 10 years. It's my good friend, Jay Bartlett. How's it going in Vegas land? I miss it. Well, we miss you out here as well, but I know a lot of things are going great out for you there, and I just want to say again how happy I am for the things that are going for you in your life, and oh, one of those things is your love for the London Spitfire. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when they, when they announced the league, you know, because uh, most of my buddies that play this with me are centered in our hometown of London, Ontario. So we kind of just, honestly, we like the color scheme and I'm a huge, huge fan of England and uh, Manchester in particular, but we decided to all go for it. We all picked London because they started selling the team skins shortly for the characters. So we'll be like, hey, would it be cool if you faced us online and we all had like the London Spitfire skins for our characters? You'd be really intimidated, right? So we kind of just dove in with London and... Man, they're they're crushing it right now, and it's really weird that I'm talking about sports because I'm not a sports guy. But but I think, I think that's, a, that's part yeah. of the, the success of the league is that they're treating it like a sports league, like a true sports franchise, as opposed to just regular competitions. Do you think that's what's bringing people in from ba not not only hardcore gamers like yourself, but also casual audience as well? Yeah, I mean it's really cool because. You know, my wife and I, we tune in when the Spitfires play, and we really we like watching uh, Dallas as well. They're pretty good. And we find ourselves kind of tuning in and kind of uh, sculpting our night, you know, when they play and when they're done playing, then we can play our own Overwatch kind of thing. And, you know, I, I'm just, you know, freaking out when they score and when, and when they're on the, the cusp of losing, we're on the edge of our seats, you know, cursing the TV. So... It's a it's an experience I haven't had since I was a kid. I used to watch uh, NBA all the time, but I kind of grew out of sports. It's kind of cool to come back to that culture. It is indeed, and the London Spitfire is doing very well right now in the Overwatch League. They're actually tied for third place in the league right now with a ten and four record. Tell me a little bit more about what really fascinates you about the league and and how you got really drawn in with the in the first place with your love for Overwatch. Well, because my wife is from the States and I'm from Canada, before we got married, we actually, you know, we wanted to play a lot of games together online. We started with Destiny a little bit. We did Friday the 13th for a couple, like a month or so. I played Overwatch originally when it came out May 2016, and I got it, but I, I didn't really feel like playing a competitive shooter, and I wasn't really into it. So my buddy was selling his for 20 bucks, picked up the copy, absolutely fell in love with it. I kind of forced her to play it a lot. Now, <laughs> now she absolutely loves it. She's actually playing it right in front of me right now. And then, yeah, it just kind of spun there, and it's like every Blizzard title, my, my absolute favorite game of all time is still World of Warcraft. And there's something that Blizzard does with their games that is so highly addicting but so incredibly rewarding uh, overwatch is no different it sounds like it indeed 
Once again, I have Jay Bartlett from Nintendo Quest and also as well, Star Wars Echo 3. You got to check out all the great things going on with Star Wars Echo 3 on Facebook and all the great causes that they support. One thing I want to ask you about the Overwatch League is so far it's received a, an incredible amount of press and success as far as the league overall. Yeah. What do you think they need to do to take that to a higher level? And also, what cities do you think they need to expand to for the next season? Of course, I would love to see Toronto or Ottawa, one of the big cities from Canada, I think would be great to be in there. A Vegas team, eh? What do you think? I Vegas. would like it. You know, Vegas is doing so well right now in hockey with yeah. their inaugural team, their expansion team, the Golden Knights. And I just see something as well with, with the Raiders coming in here in a couple of years that an Overwatch League team would be a natural as well and a great expansion for a team that's embraced esports already for at least a two, three, four years now. Yeah. Some improvements. I, I mean, I do have a few criticisms of watching it. Um, the casters are all great. The personalities are great. The players themselves, though, I think need a little bit of like PR training. You know what I mean? One or two of them, you know, XQC on uh, the fuel is really, you know, he's he's out there and his personality is larger than life. But a lot of, a lot of the guys I like, like uh, Prophet, who's uh, a really killer Genji player. When they interview him, like he's very shy, and do, do you know what I mean? And when they when they come out for their intros and stuff, they're all kind of really shy, and they just go to their desk and sit there and play. I'd like to see a bit more personality kind of maybe like wrestling a little bit if that makes sense no it actually does because yeah. rob mccallum and i discussed esports a couple weeks ago on the cosmic crossfire and i will be honest with you jay one of the things we cited as far as a continued growth of the sport is either a great rivalry or a great personality the sport can rally around i don't think esports truly has it yet that uh, enigmatic personality I know there are attempts to, to try and seek out that character, but I don't think anyone has really embraced the role of taking it to that next level as far as being that superstar that has that charisma and outgoing personality that can bring in new audiences. There are people out there in esports that are the top players that people follow just by the sheer nature of their success, but none of them really have that je ne sais quoi charisma that gets them over the top and can really take the sport to the higher level. So I'm hoping that this new formatted style of eSports with an Overwatch League can actually create that enigmatic player that people will really rally behind. I don't think the fans really quite know what to do either. Like this whole thing is so brand new. It's only a couple months old now. You know, some of the fans kind of cosplay a little bit, but they're kind of not too sure. And then when there's a great play, they, they kind of cheer, but they don't really go crazy yet. So it's kind of like the players, the, the casters, uh, and the fans, they don't really know what to make of it yet. So I think it has the potential to be absolutely huge, yeah. Um, I would like to see them travel to different arenas. I think it would be cool to actually go to the cities that they represent. They all play in the LA arena. That's where Blizzard is, right? But... I would like to see them travel. I think that would bring bring something special. You could have the home arenas and you know the decorated with the the symbols of the teams and such. So we'll see. One last thing, my friend, you've got a great thing going on with Star Wars Echo Three. I was able just to talk about it throughout our interview here about Star Wars Echo Three, but I just touched on it. So tell me, you are doing a great thing with Star Wars Echo Three. So enlighten everyone out there what Star Wars Echo Three is all about. 
Echo 3 was a group that was born out of my pure passion for Star Wars and coming to a point in my life where acquiring possessions and owning things started to kind of lose its luster when we started to do a few events and you were starting to see people that were less fortunate it really turned into i don't want to call it a charity group because but it's we're there for people who need it we've just become partners with the children's health foundation in london ontario here they're, they're one of the people that are in charge of buying hospital equipment and, and taking care of kids and they're they're on board with what we do now so we can actually schedule hospital visits which is very difficult to do but they let us come in there anytime we want and just to go in there and take those kids out of their pain and misery for even five minutes it's a, it's a feeling i can't describe to anybody but it's just it's it's an incredible and it brings me back to my childhood when i first saw darth vader for the first time back in an old department store you know it was darth vader signing autographs right it wasn't david prowse it was just a guy in a suit but how that made me feel and it stuck with me my whole entire life i hope that we can have that same impact on kids that's awesome indeed and people can find out more information on it today at star wars echo 3 on facebook and also as well catch his great appearance as the star even though he doesn't like me to say that tell I'm him the, that he was. i'm the star i'm the star He's a star. Okay. Two years have evolved. He's now the star. He's now sorry. He didn't <laughs> like that before. But he is the star of the great video game documentary, Nintendo Quest. You got to check it out today wherever it's playing. And you can get all the info on where it's playing at robmccallumfilms.com. Jay, I'll tell you what, it's always a great pleasure to talk to you, my friend. It's always just such a pleasure having you part of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford one more time with my good friend Josh Peterson, want to thank you for sticking around and hanging out with us here on the show. Josh, before we head on out, you got to talk a little bit about Fortnite because it was a game that came out to middling reviews. It really wasn't that interesting. Uh, some people actually sent us over some codes and and it really did, you know, eh, it just really just didn't, you know, it was like a fort building game. It was like, kind of like a little bit of strategy mixed in. But lo and behold, the developers there at Epic really got in tune with what's going on because they saw this other little game called Player Unknown Battlegrounds really start to take off and said, hey, we got to do a battle royale game of our own. So they went ahead and did a version of the battle royale formula on their own Fortnite platform, and it has taken off so well to the point where in the past two weeks, it has now overtaken every other game in the streaming format on Twitch. More people watch people playing the Fortnite Battle Royale games than any other at this point in time. So I ask you, Josh, 
Is Fortnite, with its Battle Royal format, outdoing what PUBG has been doing so well? They're fun games. People like them. I don't understand why people want to sit there and watch people play. I guess I could see why they do it, because there's a lot of people who do a lot of interesting things on there. And you got to wonder like what the IQ and the reaction times of some of these people playing are, because I've seen some crazy stuff going down on the Fortnite videos. But... It's a cool game. I'm sure we're going to be seeing more stuff like that coming out in the future, especially with PUBG has been such a massive success. And I know if you go out and buy the Xbox One X right uh, this week, you can still get a free copy of PUBG. Have you, have you played them or are you playing them? I did try the Fortnite uh, for a little bit and it does have its appeal with PUBG and whatnot. They're so similar to me. And I know fans of each are going to tell me that they're not. But to me, they seem very similar in, in their styles. I know... Fortnite just came out with a auto royale, battle royale version with automobiles where you're in an automobile shooting at other people while the playing field continues to shrink and all that. That type of nuance is, seemed to even spark even more interest in Fortnite and whatnot. But the millions of concurrent players in PUBG has been hit by Fortnite. They probably won't tell you on the surface, but there's been definitely a marked interest in Fortnite's formula for the Battle Royale genre. And I definitely think that there's a lot of interest going that way and away from PUBG. And at some point, PUBG has to do something a little bit different than just offering some free maps and a little bit of DLC and all that and doing something more to spike up their genre. Fortnite is definitely something to be reckoned with and definitely something for the future going forward that PUBG definitely has to be concerned about when it comes to the battle royale genre what are your thoughts on fortnite battle royale and obviously the battle royale genre in general for video games is it something you watch is it something you play and is it something you follow share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also as well popculturecosmos humanity media and game source on facebook and twitter as well well i want to thank rob mccallum as always for being part of the Cosmic Crossfire, also as well as part of the Nintendo Quest Takeover, Jay Bartlett. want to thank him as well for his thoughts on the Overwatch League. Josh, any last thoughts on the way out? Yeah, so we've kind of been closing the show with uh, some thought, some talk on Ready Player One. I have been reading a lot of hate on the internet lately regarding Ready Player One. It, it's made me like kind of reflect on the attitudes of gamers and you know gamers like we're a bunch of jerks like honestly there's nothing that could come out in the entertainment world that will please us like nothing you know and anytime we see something like I'm excited I'm really excited to see this movie because those are all things that I'm interested in but as gamers it's like you know we constantly you know I'm gonna throw myself in that category but Anytime something comes out in the pop culture world, we're never pleased with it. And this is why video game movies do so poorly is because we want to go in hating it. And I think that Ready Player One is already getting that kind of negativity and it hasn't even come out yet. And it's kind of, I don't know, it irks me a little bit. And that's a shame because I definitely want to see it too. I love the book and I really like what the movie is going to represent. That people enjoy it for what it is because it is pop culture and that's what we do here every week we love to talk about what's going on and for the most part the best of pop culture and i'm hoping as is josh that ready player one the coming out later this month 
will be what we feel is the best of pop culture. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Hey there, folks. My name is JC Delatore. And I'm Rita Delatore. And we are Transmissions from Atlantis, an original member of the ESO Network, and we are excited to tell you all about our podcast. Well, it's everything science fiction, fantasy, horror. And every single episode will have a segment of Doctor Who. Let's give everybody a taste. I have my two minutes. Yes. Okay, then. So no interrupting. Go ahead. Fine. You're using up your two minutes. Shut up. You're, you're interrupting me. Stop <laughs> you're, it. You're now up to 50 seconds. <laughs> this was worse than kill the moon. It was not worse than I kill the moon. I would take the moon as an egg <laughs> before I would take a bunch of trees, sprout up overnight, save the earth, and then magically... And oh. where did the trees go? Where did the trees go? Yes. Transmissions from Atlantis. Class. Classy sci-fi pop culture discussions. Check us out, transmissionsfromatlantis.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hello, everyone. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos. We truly appreciate you checking in right now with us in a special conversation with my good friend Rob McCallum from robmccallumfilms.com. You got to check out all the great projects that he has going on today at robmccallumfilms.com. But right now, we're going to be talking some crowdfunding options for everyone out there. He's got a great workshop that's coming up on March 25th from 1 to 5 p.m. in the London, Ontario area. You want to make sure you, for more information, check out the availability for tickets on Eventbrite today. And I'll tell you what, if, if you have any more questions on that, even you can just check out Backed or Busted Crowdfunding on his Facebook page or robmccallumfilms.com. Rob, it's so great to have you as part of this and, and truly appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me about some great crowdfunding options. Yeah, well, this is a little bit for everybody, right? This is for you. This is a good reminder for me. This is a good way to get information out for people that are curious about crowdfunding, whether they're coming to the uh, the workshop itself on March 25th, whether they're in the London, Ontario region or not, everybody can benefit from crowdfunding. So I thought I would just hold a little information session. I've got, I don't know, 10 questions or so that people have thrown at me in the last month as I've been doing Backed or Busted, my new web series that started at the beginning of the year. I thought, why not culminate it together in a quick info session that builds towards the event itself? 
And uh, maybe for people that can't make the event, we can find a way to work together and get their dream project kind of off the ground and on Kickstarter. Well, that's something I want to talk to you about first, though, as far as your crowdfunding background. I know personally about some of your crowdfunding operations that that I've helped and tried to be, be a part of, but I, I want to make sure that everyone out there gets gets a little bit of FYI on you and the crowdfunding options that that you've been a part of and and really why this this uh, not only seminar but really what motivates you to go ahead and teach others about crowdfunding well in terms of my background I've run 10 or I've been a part of 10 or 12 different campaigns and in, in varying capacities either as a creator a uh, heavy primary collaborator or, or consultant uh, and they've all been successful uh, to varying degrees, some wildly successful, some uh, just hitting their goal and, and some, you know, going above and beyond expectations. So it's really been a cool learning experience for me to constantly apply my knowledge to new projects and see what I can learn as I go through it and how I can bring that forward. A lot of the stuff that I've done has been uh, video game uh, projects. Uh, film projects and uh, things that are kind of hybrids of both or that will include both kind of components so a lot of pop culture stuff and uh, On back or busted the web series. I know you're familiar with Gerald. I basically kind of stay in the same realm I do a lot of films uh, documentaries comic books graphic novels anything that has that cool kind of vibe uh, The stuff that I'm into is the stuff that I want to learn more about and share about and comment on so that's that's kind of my wheelhouse Oh, that's awesome indeed. And they can check out all of your great videos today on Backdoor Busted Crowdfunding on Facebook or YouTube or as bonus material on several episodes of the Pop Culture Cosmos available today on Apple Podcasts. Now, I want to ask you real quick, like I said, we've got a great event that you're hosting coming up on the 25th of March in the London, Ontario area. Can you quickly just share some more information on that and give everybody an idea why they, that this is so important if they do have a potential crowdfunding campaign they want to think up? Yeah, it, uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, I'm from London, Ontario. I've lived abroad for the last 10 years or so in the U.S. and, I, and I've come back and I've noticed a lot of cool things happening in this community. I, I've noticed that entrepreneurial spirit that you can just feel in the air as you talk to people. And I feel like there's just one kind of hurdle that's stopping a lot of people. And that's just a little bit of injection from capital or a little bit of fundraising to really help motivate them to, to take it to the next step. And that's where I thought, well, I do a lot of crowdfunding stuff, primarily on Kickstarter, although some Indiegogo stuff as well. And why not help the community that I'm a part of, uh, very specifically, and the community abroad, learn more about this? And people will say, well, why don't you just keep the secrets for yourself and constantly do your own projects? And it's pretty simple. One, I like to work with a lot of people. I like to work with creative people. I want to see more cool creative projects out there so that I can have them as a fan. And if I can find a way to do what I'm doing and let other people do what they're doing, I think it's kind of it's kind of lame, but the world is a bit of a better place when there's more good things to watch and engage in. So yeah. if I can help you or somebody else uh, with their project and show them the kind of ropes on Kickstarter for a little bit of time and uh, you know the cost of an afternoon, then why not take that chance? Uh, and what makes the event in London particularly special compared to like online offerings or or course materials or even buying books is. That is one-on-one -on -one time. I've got you know a syllabus and a course outline where we'll go through everything from idea and that kind of concept to make sure it's right for Kickstarter all the way through what happens when I hit the launch button and navigating the campaign when it's live. But you get that one-on-one -on -one time with me. You get to throw those curveballs at me. You get to 
basically talk with me about those one-on-one -on -one specific questions that pertain to your campaign and how I might be able to give you some insight in the moment versus just applying a theoretical approach to something that you would get in a book or that you would get in an online kind of offering. Now, we may do an online offering down the road. It would have to be completely uh, immersive and, and engagement, but I really want to do this one-on-one -on -one stuff because crowdfunding works best when you can work with people. As much as this is an online presence, it is very much a people thing. You, you're trying to talk to the people that are out there that are interested in your project. You got to work with people to make this happen. So I'm kind of a firm believer that the first step is to work with people in person. And that's why this, this event in my hometown is so crucial. And it's only four hours, 1 to 5 p.m., March 25th, like you said. And it's available today. Tickets are on eventbrite.com. So you got to check that out indeed if you are in the London, Ontario area or if you want to head over there on March 25th. Now, as someone who has uh, contemplated and actually worked up at times uh, something out for a Pop Culture Cosmos crowdfunding campaign, uh, I've actually you know thought about it. Extent is it something I should do? Is it something maybe I should lean on? Maybe something I should lean against? And I've actually you know run that by you on on occasion. First thing I got to ask, and this is one of the questions that's been brought up, is where do folks you know, what do they make their mistakes right off the bat? It, where, where, where do you see when you watch and, and you investigate all these crowdfunding campaigns, where do they make the mistakes the most? Well, I tell you, when I, when I navigate to a page that's been pointed out to me, or if I'm just kind of, you know, surfing Kickstarter or Indiegogo, or even on KickTrack for, for what's going on, you can tell projects from first-time creators almost straight away that have had zero help because they just kind of put their idea against the wall like they're throwing you know just ideas to see what'll stick almost like if you were to face a brick wall and you had a paint gun and you just started splattering and you're like hey that looks pretty hopefully this works and then they dust their hands off and then they walk away you can feel like a lot of passion and energy just got kind of thrown out there and dispensed in one foul swoop with not a lot of strategy or execution there's something there of an idea. It might not necessarily be completely worked out or, or, or right for the platform, Kickstarter or Indiegogo or GoFundMe, but there's something there that sort of applies, but hasn't really been thought out and certainly hasn't been put through the rigor and the kind of gears, the machine that uh, is part of crowdfunding. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, and uh, I hope everybody out there listening can actually you know draw from that. But go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Keep no, where, where people make like the, the mistakes right away is that they think they can just put whatever online, hit launch, and that it's going to come to them and that they're not working at constantly improving that campaign experience. What I call the campaign experience is when the, when the person, the potential backer comes to your page, what is that experience as they're spending time there? And what is that experience upon their first visit to their last visit throughout the duration of the campaign? How is that adventure changing and how is it evolving for, for them to feel like this is a living, breathing thing and not just like a money grab opportunity or just like kind of a more of a, a passive pre-order for a product? How is this like exciting? And if you're just throwing stuff up there that hasn't been thought out, then I think you're making a big mistake and you haven't done enough homework. So that would be, I guess, the biggest mistake people make. Not enough homework and not enough thought. Well, if that's the case, then then I'll, let's take a look at it this way. How can I be successful at it? How can I make it grow and make it something special that people will back and that not, not only will meet expectation, but go beyond that? 
it's uh, it's kind of doing the opposite. Make sure you do enough homework. Make sure you uh, have done your research. It's going to vary depending on what kind of campaign you're launching. Like if you're going to do a fashion project, a tech project, or a film project, uh, there's going to be certain things that you're going to want to do to be successful that are inherent to those kind of projects. More than anything, though, you want a slick campaign that looks professional. Be professional. That's how you can be successful. If you look professional on your campaign and your presence, then your campaign will be uh, professionally uh, like uh, like viewed upon and come across as very successful. I always tell people uh, with regards to their video, and there's some questions I got about videos that we'll talk about down the road. If your video is crappy or it's lackluster or it's shot with your cell phone and you're holding it uh, and you're trying to get your spiel out, that's what people are going to think of your product. So everything you do on your page is reflective of the thing that you're trying to raise money for. So if you're going to give them this great product or this project or whatever you're doing, make sure your campaign page is up to the same level as the thing that you're trying to create. So be professional. Well, you were just hitting up upon money and obviously that's the, the motivator here. Well, you know, if that's the case, how much money should I ask for then? This is a very tough question and I, and I get, I get the money question all the time. How much do I need to be successful? Well, there's Kickstarter fees you got to take into account. There's shipping that you got to take into account. There's the, the production or the distribution of the actual thing that you're trying to do. And then there's the money that you need to have this thing come to life. So the short answer I always tell people as, a, as at least a starting point, and it may be under, it may be over, is go for double what you think you need. If you need $50,000 to make your film, try to raise $100,000 because there's going to be a ton of hidden costs that you're probably not aware of. And especially for people that are the first timers on Kickstarter or the first timers in creating a project of a certain kind that they've never created before. So if you're a first time filmmaker or you've never made a film on your own, but only with other people, then ask for closer to double of what you're looking for because it's just some inexperience that you don't know about and some pitfalls you won't see coming. It's very important that you do your research and you find out exactly what something is going to cost you to make it come to life. Make sure that that money uh, is reflected within your rewards, but then you you kind of budget for things that you don't expect. That well, that's pretty critical. Well, you talk about putting so much work into it as well, and and all the things you have to do to maintain it, to try and bring it to that next level. And it's uh, I guess you could say it's almost like having a second job, and. and if that's the case, can you can you elaborate more into that and and tell me exactly how much work you have to put into the campaign to make it successful? Yeah, there there is a thing called like second job syndrome. Uh, you should realize that when you're going out there to do this, that this is the thing you're trying to do. So you need to put effort towards it. It's not like I said when we first started talking, throwing a bunch of stuff on a wall and making sure that it looks pretty or good enough. This is about working at something so that it looks good. And when you run a campaign, you will find that you'll be spending a lot of time during the course of that campaign, but also before you even hit launch. Uh, as a rule of thumb, I typically start working on a campaign at the very least mentally, if not like in, in a hard skills fashion, uh, six months before it starts. So six months before I hit the launch button, I'm starting to populate my Kickstarter or Indiegogo page with ideas and design layouts. And I'm just working out the kinks and I'm reading it over and fine tuning stuff. And I'm letting the project evolve and I'm researching different things online just to see what makes the most sense. And that takes a lot of time. 
if you've got a full-time job, you know, you're working eight hours and nine to five, you've got to put time in uh, after the fact to make sure that your project, your dream project, or this thing that you really want to do that's going to require money and attention from other people has the time invested as well. I say six months because you might not have eight hours a day to put into that. So you might only have two or three, but two or three hours a day, Monday through Friday, even if you want to take the weekends off, adds up a lot over the course of, you know, six months. That's 15 hours a week at three hours a day. And that's 60 hours a month times six months. You know, you're looking at 360 hours before you even launch your campaign. And that's if you're kind of doing it on the part-time side. But every hour you put in will be reflected in the success that you get after the fact if it's spent well and with intelligence. Once again, I'm talking to Rob McCallum from robmccallumfilms.com. You got to check out all of his great projects today. And also as well, you got to check out his backed or busted crowdfunding page to you know, see how he analyzes various crowdfunding campaigns and, and takes a look at it as far as from an analytical standpoint and breaks it down whether or not he will support it or not support those various crowdfunding campaigns. He has got a crowdfunding workshop coming to the London, Ontario area, March 25th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. You got to check it out. If For more information on that, you just go to eventbrite.com to get tickets today. Rob, I want to ask you, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, that we would be heading in later on about video as far you know, as far as being either a key component or something that, that depending on the project may or may not be needed. Let me ask you this. Do I need a video to attach to my crowdfunding campaign? The video is probably the most important part of a Kickstarter campaign. And I'm pretty blessed because I'm a filmmaker and I work in the video medium a lot. So it's something that I can handle a little bit better than others. If you're not a filmmaker or you don't have access to someone who understands how to make a video, please invest in it. It's going to be what helps you look professional as we, as we talked about earlier. It's going to be what sets the stage and starts to build that trust and that bridge to your potential backers. If your video looks well, then your project will look great. And, and it, it just kind of lines up. Do you need a video? No, you don't need a video. You can launch without a video. Will you be successful without a video? I don't, I don't know. Now that, that brings up a bunch of questions. Do I need a video if it's gonna be a crappy video or should I not have a video? That's a fine line. I think it's always important to hear from the creators. So if you don't have a video of your project or your product that you're trying to bring to Kickstarter and, and have it come to life, then at least try to shoot something with yourself. I don't like the idea of you using your camera phone, holding it as you're walking around and it's all shaky, uh, handheld style. Uh, I just, I don't think that's the right approach. Get Get somebody to help you invest in a shooter even if it costs you a couple hundred bucks to get something that looks professional it is a must in my opinion there are very few examples i can think of where a video is not needed uh it, it just really starts the discussion on on what your project is and why it matters the only thing that should matter more than the video is what the concept is and how inherently understandable is that concept if I see what your title is on Kickstarter and I see what your short description, your one line after that further elaborates on your title and I get it, great. But that video further extrapolates on what is going to happen, why this project is important and who you are as a creator. So do you need a video? You absolutely need a video and it needs to be good. Because even if you're talking about something uh, like a tabletop game or a book or something that's not video related, 
you still need a video, in my opinion, to find out more about the individuals themselves that are behind the project, don't you think? Yeah, you need to showcase what your product is. So even if you're camera shy as a creator and you've made this tabletop game, this cool new board game that you believe in, you've worked on it for years or you've worked on it for weeks, and you, you kind of want to come to Kickstarter, you need to show us what that thing looks like. Seeing is believing. Show us what you got. You know, like Rick and Morty, show us what you got. That's what I want to see. Bring it, bring it to the next level and show me whatever you can. Even in a worst case scenario, if it's nothing but a bunch of still images of photography that you've taken, even if you've only taken them with your phone, show me as much as you can so that I can wrap my head around the, the decision between being a part of your campaign or not being a part of your campaign. That is crucial. So show me what you got. Show me what you got indeed. So that means I can't pull out the old VHS camera. You can if it fits your project. Never say never that there's nothing, uh, there's no rules, you know what I mean? Rules are meant <laughs> to be broken and all that. If you've got a VHS camera and that's the only thing you've got, but it looks good and, and the, the video plays well, then use it. That's what matters. And if, if you're great at making films and videos with your cell phone, then yes, absolutely use it. But just make sure that the choices you make with regards to the video you put on Kickstarter uh, enhances the viability of your project success. Well, there you go. There you go, indeed. I want to ask you this. You and I both delve a lot into pop culture. Obviously, I delve into it you know, quite regularly along with you every single week. One of the times around pop culture that gets talked about a lot is right around Christmas. You know, a lot of money is spent on Christmas, you know, as far as buying gifts for the family, friends, co-workers, what have you. You and I talk about it being so important to the video game market. Obviously, when it comes to movies, you know, a lot of the the either big box office movies hit or also as well Academy Award potential hopefuls are also around there. So people, you know, are spending money there as well. Plus, you know, all the other things, food and things for the family, whatnot. I want to ask you this. Is it a good time of the year to to already is start investing in a crowdfunding campaign as far as create it and bring it to life? Or is it better if you debut it at some other point in the year? Well, this is a question that I, that I get a lot. Um, should I run a campaign after Thanksgiving before Christmas? Should I have a campaign that's over the Christmas to New Year's holiday? Should I do something in January when people are worried about tax? Should I do something with March break and people are going to be away? Should I do something uh, in, in April and May when there's exams for university kids? Should I do something in the summer when people are out traveling more? Should I do something in September when kids are back to school? The reality is there's, there's never like the perfect month and the perfect week and the perfect time to launch your campaign. I will tell you that statistically, fewer campaigns are run between American Thanksgiving and Christmas, but the success rate isn't any different compared to any other time of the year. So kind of read into that as much as you want. You'll have less competition and you're gonna have the same chances at, at success than other campaigns that are out there. But at the same time, you are gonna be dealing with people doing the holiday things. You are gonna be dealing with lots of family events and Christmas parties. So how, what are you doing to get people's attention? Are you gonna to have to work harder in order to achieve that same level of success as campaigns outside of that window? So it's not a bad idea to run a campaign on Christmas, especially if it's Christmas themed. But I will say if it is Christmas themed, make sure it ends before Christmas because if you're trying to sell something that's Christmassy after Christmas, it usually doesn't work. 
Yeah, I can I can understand that, but it's the old adage as far as if you're you're you know you'll have less competition, like you're saying, but also as well, there's going to be a lot less attention to it unless you try and do it and make extra steps to in order to try and bring more attention to it as well. So the work becomes even that much harder. All right, I got to ask you. You talked. I heard a lot of shoulds and shoulds and shoulds in your statement. Well, let me ask you this. When it comes to a crowdfunding campaign, what should I make sure not to do in order to, you know, jeopardize or pretty much kill off my crowdfunding campaign before it really gets into action? Well, this kind of goes back to some of the stuff that we we've kind of already talked about, but this is I'm going to I'm going to address people that have run a Kickstarter campaign before or people that have a little bit of knowledge of the process or are coming into it, and that's don't take it for granted. You should make sure you do not take running a campaign for granted because you've run one before. We've already talked about how much work it's going to take to run a campaign and that you've got to be pro and that it, what you what to do for success and, and how to really pinpoint that goal. But make sure you don't take it for granted. Make sure that you don't create this awesome video and that your your page looks great and then you you know you set it and forget it. You got to do a little bit more than that. You got to make sure that you realize that this is a living, breathing entity, like I said. Don't take it for granted. Every campaign is different. One of the reasons I, I do uh, Bacter Busted is, is because I was doing it anyways behind the scenes, but I thought it would be better to constantly do it live. And by adhering to a schedule where I want to release episodes, it kind of forced me to stay in the loop on crowdfunding. It, uh, it made me stay frosty, if you will. It made me up and to date. So when I'm, when I'm ready to launch another campaign, which won't be that far from now, I believe, I'm going to go back through all my episodes. I'm going to go back through all my notes. I'm going to go back through all my books just to make sure that I'm not forgetting anything, just to make sure that I haven't glossed over something because I've run so many campaigns that I've been able to raise as much money as I have. Some of the stuff you won't be able to think about and some of the times you pivot with a campaign won't happen until you're kind of knee deep in it and you get that kind of uh, bolt of inspiration. But you can do a lot to avoid that. And a lot of it is staying humble, uh, sharing your stuff with friends, and just doing your research. So again, do your homework. Don't take it for granted. And that is the best way to set you up for success, I think. Absolutely. And we've talked about before in the past about crowdfunding campaigns that they, they've achieved their goals. But unfortunately, due to stuff behind the scenes, they've made mistakes. And, and it's really cost uh, their goodwill and PR as far as crowdfunding campaigns is concerned. We've seen mistakes made that have cost crowdfunding campaigns, but we've also seen crowdfunding campaigns that have, have really achieved success. You have, uh, you know, several, like, like you said, to your name as well. Give me, uh, you know, well, actually, what we've talked about what you shouldn't do, but what should you do in order to make that crowdfunding campaign so special? You should definitely uh, divorce yourself from your position as a campaign creator. What I mean is, and this is part of the six months before you hit launch, you need to take some time away from what you're doing so that you can kind of forget about this project and come back to it with fresh eyes so that you can see what it's like as a visitor to your page, as somebody who's a potential backer. You need to have objectivity, and that's so important because when you come to a page as a backer, you're going to be scrutinizing things a lot more because you got to put your money down. You've got to risk your hard-earned dollars. 
So what are you doing on your page that's fair, consumer conscious, and worthy of somebody's time and money to back you? That's the thing you need to do. You need to be objective and make sure that you're being fair with what you're offering. As a consumer, is this something that you would get on board with? As a potential backer, is this something that you would back? Don't just ask for a fistful of dollars if you would never do the same thing yourself. That's not right. So make sure that whatever you put on the page is something that you would turn around and support on another project. Well, he, he goes for that Clint Eastwood movie uh, analogy with the fistful of dollars. I like that. But uh, <laughs> I, I will ask you this uh, before we head on out. Uh, you know, you've done so well as far as your crowdfunding campaigns are concerned, but give me one last piece of advice or, or everybody out there, one last piece of advice on, on what they need to do to make their crowdfunding campaigns that much better. This one's going to be a little tough to swallow, but you may be able to get around it a little bit. And this one last kind of piece of uh, advice that's invaluable is don't be afraid to spend money to make your campaign better. Whether that's hiring people with the art and the look of your campaign page and headers and the way that the graphics flow or the video itself or like a poster image for your product or your movie or whatever it is, don't be afraid to spend money to make money. It's a pretty old adage. And I know it's hard because you're like, Rob, but I'm trying to raise money just to make it happen. I, I can't spend money when I need the money. Well, you might not even have a shot at that money if you don't come uh, across as you know being ready to receive the money. So I think that's pretty important. Now, here's the other caveat to that. If you can't spend money, find a way to work with people that know crowdfunding and Kickstarter and Indiegogo so that your campaign can be better. There are people out there, myself included, that will work on a strict percentage for what you take in if the project and yourself are organized. That's no money out of your pocket. That is just a simply you know, a percentage of the final kind of haul, which is a pretty good deal for everybody involved. Now, when you have to you know, cut off some of the, the percentage points at the end, that means you've got to ask for a little bit more too. But that doesn't mean anything comes out of your pocket. So find a way to stay professional and invest in it and consider giving up a little piece of the pie in order to get you up to at least par, if not beyond, to get ahead of the pack and be successful. Oh, that's some great advice indeed. Once again, it's Rob McCallum from robmccallumfilms.com. You got to check out his great website and all of his great projects his backed or busted crowdfunding page on Facebook and also YouTube. And also don't forget, he is hosting an event in the London, Ontario area on March 25th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. You got to check out for more ticket information. You got to check it out today on eventbrite.com. Rob, it's been truly a pleasure to talk some crowdfunding campaigns with you and, and the, you know, the do's and don'ts of it. It's just truly a pleasure to do so. And I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future crowdfunding campaigns and to everyone out there that is thinking about it or about ready to go ahead and, and push the button on a crowdfunding campaign. All the best to you as well. Rob, can't thank you enough for standing by and being here for, for this Q&A on crowdfunding. Yeah, I appreciate you kind of hosting and moderating these questions that have come to me. Uh, we made a little conversation out of it. If anybody out there is curious more about what's going on, again, facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding 
or you can email me at crowdfundingspectacular99 at gmail.com or hit me up at Twitter at Rob McZob. I'm here to help. Uh, whether you needed some help on the consultation side, you just want me to take a look at your project. I may even make you a victim of Bacter Busted, our ongoing web series. So thanks for uh, the questions, everybody that sent them in. Thank you, Gerald. And uh, I look forward to speaking further on an episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos sometime in the future, I'm sure. Absolutely. I look forward to it indeed. Rob, it's always a great pleasure to have you a part of this and always the best of luck to everyone out there on their crowdfunding campaigns. <laughs>